You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Amen. So good to see you today. If it's your first time, I want to welcome you officially. I, uh, my name is Mike Lovely. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church. And uh, it's always good to see new faces, uh, meet new friends. We like to say this is a place where friends become family, and uh, we hope that you find that to be true. Um, would love to get to know you, get better acquainted. Uh, also good to see some old faces, um, <laughs> older faces. Maybe that's a more appropriate way to put it. Uh, good to see some friends that we haven't seen in a while. Our uh, dear missions partners from uh, Southeast Asia, you win the prize for coming the furthest for church this morning. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you for being here. And uh, so glad that you're with us. Um, and uh, glad that you are here. I love to worship with you. I love to together uh, lift up our voices in praise to affirm great truth, uh, to sing the gospel. Uh, standing there thinking um, how many times I've heard people foolishly say uh, that the music portion of the service is like an appetizer for the main part of the meal. Like, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't ever look at our worship team as like the opening act for the main thing. Um, it's so important what we do in worship together as we lift our voices and proclaim great biblical truth, proclaim the gospel together in song. Uh, quick update, real quickly. Um, I was over at the building site uh, this past week, as I am most weeks, went over there, and I saw one of the ugliest, most beautiful things that I've seen in a long time. It is a big green transformer sitting out in front of our building. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. So um, uh, we, are, we are thankful for that. There was a time uh, several months ago where we thought it might not get here until sometime in August, which would have delayed some other things happening uh, in the construction phase. And so looks like that won't be the case. And so we're so grateful for that. So as far as I know, things are pretty much on track. And again, Lord willing, we'll be uh, getting into our new space uh, sometime in October. That's our prayer. Uh, I want to remind you uh, of the provision partners uh, plan, their program that we're in right now. There is a way for uh, you to give and to participate uh, in what God is doing uh, over on Colin McKinney Parkway. Uh, and I will also ask you to pray for our current facilities, especially across the street. Uh, our current facilities are like a marathon runner that are like at mile 24 and not sure if they're going to make it to mile 26, uh, if you know what I mean. We've I got a room in the basement that has flooded now three times in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I want to say a huge thank you to Nick Garcia, who's come and cleaned up that mess and suctioned up as many as 15 gallons of water out of the carpet down there. Uh, some of you went to community group this morning in a sauna back in one of the portables because the air conditioners uh, are failing over there. And so uh, we're just limping to the finish line with some of, the, of our facilities across the street. So be in prayer for that as well. And thank you. Uh, for the incredible grace that you show uh, week in and week out with some of those, uh, some of those challenges across the street. Uh, also, uh, my heart is aching a little bit this morning because for the last two years, I've had the privilege of going with the uh, Mission Wyoming team, and I'm not going this year. So 
Uh, I know they're all sad that I'm not going for sure, especially the ones who've been before. <laughs> uh, but it really is a great time. Uh, and one of the, the, the great things about partnering with the church that we have a relationship with uh, is that uh, you get to meet new friends and you develop relationships and you look forward to seeing them year uh, to year. Even some of the families that we've met there in the Bar None community and certainly their leaders. Uh, we've watched that church grow and flourish in so many ways and uh, ordained their first elders and deacons and uh, we've watched people baptized and so, um, so thankful. Um, that God calls people to really hard places. Uh, there are not a lot of people signing up to go to Bar None, Wyoming, okay? Uh, Wyoming's a beautiful place. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and crazy enough, there are people that consider Casper, Wyoming, the armpit of Wyoming. Um, they got a pretty beautiful armpit, I'll just say that. There are some places there that are really, really pretty. And so uh, it is a great time. So please, please pray for that team. And thank you for your generosity and giving, whether it was... Uh, just coming up and having your car washed during the car wash. Some of you have just been so gracious to give, and, uh, and you can still do that. Uh, but thank you so much for that. Well, in our summer sermon series in the book of Psalms, we looked last week at Psalm 105, and this week we are looking at Psalm 106. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to join me there in Psalm 106 this morning. And these two psalms are a pair of, of what we would call historical psalms. They close out book four of the Psalms. If you remember the introductory message to this series, uh, we said that uh, you'll find that the, the, the book of Psalms, as we know it, is broken up into five books. And so uh, these two Psalms kind of close out book four of the Psalms, most likely written by the same person at the same time, drawn from the same source. And together, uh, these two Psalms cover both sides of the story uh, of God's redemption of his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And while Psalm 105, as we learned last week, focuses on God's faithfulness to keep his covenant promise to Abraham, Psalm 106, as we'll see today, focuses on the constant sin and rebellion of God's people. Together, these two psalms give us words to thank the Lord for being faithful to keep his covenant promises to his people despite our constant sin and stubborn rebellion. These are rather lengthy psalms with lots of historical detail in them, but they help us see something that is really important and I think really encouraging. God always keeps his covenant promises to his people. Faithfully giving what he has promised despite our tendency toward foolish, sinful rebellion against him. You know, some people are blessed with an amazing memory. Uh, I marvel at those who are blessed with such a memory. These people can remember names and faces and dates and details and even passwords um, in ways uh, that the rest of us can't seem to. And as we grow older, one of the things that we find uh, most challenging is that uh, our ability to recall certain things seems to, uh, to diminish, to fade. I, I, I have been just struck by a, uh, an autistic savant that I started following kind of accidentally on social media. This guy's name is Maxi, and his brother, uh, together they have this uh, social media account. And what is amazing about Maxi is that you can give him a date. I mean, uh, uh, you know, February the 24th, whatever, uh, the year, and he will tell you what day of the week it is. 
or what day of the week that was. I don't know if that's memory necessarily, but it just his brain works in such a remarkable way. It is phenomenal. Um, and, and you've probably been around someone that you thought, man, they, can, they just have like a photographic memory. Maybe you went to school with someone like that. Like you just found yourself incredibly jealous. Like they could read a portion of text and just like they could just process it and, and, and retain it in ways that, that you found you could not. Well, in Psalm 106, we have a stark contrast between the forgetfulness of God's people and God's faithful remembering. Near the beginning of Psalm 106, you find a plea to God, Remember me, O Lord. Remember me, O Lord. Then near the end, you have this wonderful statement of God's mercy toward his people. And just when you think God's people have messed up so much that surely he will disown them and move on, we read these words, For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And in between the opening plea for remembrance and this closing statement of remembrance, we read of God's people forgetting, failing to remember over and over again, it seems. In verse 7, you find words like this, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. If you move down to verse 13, you find this. It says, But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Then you go down further to verse 21, and you'll notice it says, They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. You know, some things probably need to be forgotten. Some things are worth forgetting, leaving in the past. We like to use the phrase, you should forgive and forget, right? There are some things we should never forget. Much of this psalm is dark. It's bleak. It focuses on the failures, the forgetfulness, the faithlessness, the rebellion, the wickedness of God's people. But the purpose of the psalm is not to focus our hearts and our affections and our minds on failure and futility. No, this is a psalm that opens and closes with hallelujah. Praise be to God, and it calls on us to give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, and proclaims, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, amen. The goodness, the greatness of God, his saving power, his merciful remembering are highlighted And they're shown to be more glorious against the dark backdrop of the sinfulness of his people. So I'm going to ask you to do once again what we've done over the last several weeks. I'm going to ask that we all stand together. Uh, And I'm going to give you a bit of a break again today. I'm not going to ask you to read the entire psalm with me out loud. But we are going to read the first 12 verses together. And so if you do not have a physical copy of the ESV, I would encourage you to read from the screen as long as it doesn't go off. Um, It seems to have a mind of its own today, our presentation software. But we're going to read the first 12 verses of Psalm 106 together aloud. Join with me now. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. 
Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Thank you. You may be seated. You sound great. I want us to notice, first of all, from verses 1 through 6, an honest plea and confession. Again, Psalm 106 here opens by calling us to praise the Lord and give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. This is the most common reason given for God's people to give thanks. This is not the first time we've seen it here in our study of the book of Psalms. For he is who he is. He is good. So we praise the Lord not only for what he does, for the way that he benefits our lives, the, the neat things that he allows us to enjoy, but first and most importantly, for who he is, his very character and nature. He is good and how he acts toward his people, his steadfast, hased, covenant, faithful goodness and loving kindness toward us endures forever. Now, as it unpacks a thousand years of history, roughly, Psalm 106 unpacks just how true it is that God's steadfast love toward his people endures forever. And the psalmist here asks us a question. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? I could ask the same question this morning. Who here this morning myself included, could possibly, could possibly praise the Lord completely and fully for everything and anything he has ever done. There, there's no way possible. Who can possibly do that? Now again, we just had a, a pretty lengthy psalm last week in Psalm 105, recounting God's faithfulness to his people over roughly 500 years of history, from the Abrahamic covenant to the settling in Canaan, uh, the promised land. And then now, here in Psalm 106, we have a second lengthy historical psalm, which begins with the exodus from Egypt, continues through the exile from the promised land in roughly 586 B.C., covering nearly a 1,000 years of history. So you've got these two lengthy psalms covering about 1,500 years of history, and they can't even begin to fully declare the mighty deeds of the Lord and all the praise that he is due. Some of you might remember several years ago with a song uh, talks about, I could sing of his love forever. I could sing of his love forever. I could sing of your love forever. And someone did a parody on that and said, I could sing of your love five minutes. I could sing of your... That's because we find ourselves getting tired Right? You're like, I guarantee you, there are some of you, if the service goes a little longer than maybe you anticipated or what the rumbling in your stomach can endure, you'll start looking at your watch here in just a few minutes because it's almost like, man, we have just gone into extra innings this morning with this sermon. 
It's like, we can't possibly do this much longer, right? I'm not sure I can sit in this chair much longer, Pastor. Come on, wrap it up. And yes, I've seen the memes. Some of you have sent them to me. That a long sermon is akin to a hostage situation, okay? <laughs> I get it. Here's the thing. Can we possibly exhaust our praise to the Lord? Can there ever be a point in time where we go, you know, I think I'm kind of done with that. I've done all I can do. No, we can't do that. How good is God? What great things he has done for his people. How much praise is due to him for who he is and what he has done. No one can adequately tell it all, but it is so good for us to do what we can, to recount and remember what we can, to declare what we are able, to give thanks to the fullest extent possible. And this pair of psalms helps us focus on the big picture of God's redemption of his people, especially as we learn to read them through Christ. As I said last week, this is truly our story. This is his story, but it's our story, his covenant faithfulness and our redemption. Now, verse 3 is interesting. And it seems to be a little bit out of place even in this psalm. Blessed are they who observe justice and do righteousness at all times. It's a reminder to us of what we're supposed to be and do in order to be blessed by God. It's really the word of the law, the statement of God's standard, which sets us up for seeing how far short we fall of what is expected of us, what is right, what is reasonable. We should observe justice and do righteousness at all times. And this is what God requires and what we should do. But check this out. The rest of the psalm will make it clear that we don't. (laughs) That we don't. We don't do that. And then we have an honest, faithful plea in verses 4 and 5. Let me remind you of the words that we just read together. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in your inheritance. Remember me, O Lord. So when we ask God to remember us, we are asking him to do the very thing he has promised to do and that he will never fail to do for those who belong to him, whom he has redeemed to himself. The psalmist wants us to be blessed by God along with God's people, but he knows he doesn't deserve it. He knows what God requires, clearly stated in verse number three. And so he asks God to remember him, and he must confess openly and humbly in verse six. Both we and our fathers have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness. And I would submit to you this morning that verse number 6 is probably the key verse in understanding the rest of the psalm. For helping us read it and pray it properly, both we and our fathers have sinned. The psalmist is looking back on things that happened as long as a thousand years before. Things previous generations of God's people have done. And the rest of the psalm will be dominated, you'll notice, by the pronoun they. Kind of interesting, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I find it easy in the sinful, broken world in which we live to say they, those people out there, they, they're so wicked, they're so wrong, they just don't get it, as if if I'm any different, (laughs) 
as if, as if I do completely get it. No. I, I'm just as frail and broken and sinful as they are. You'll notice, you see words like this. They did not remember, but rebelled. They soon forgot. They made a calf. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox. They despised the, the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. Verse 6 makes it clear that while the psalmist keeps saying they, he really means we. He means we. He identifies with the sins of God, God's people, and we must too, for we are the same as them. Our hearts are just as broken and just as wayward. And if we distance ourselves too much from the people of God in these verses, we will miss the point of the psalm. And we will miss the blessing and the joy of God's saving grace so wonderfully displayed here for us. You see, the heart of Psalm 106 tells the story of the wonderful saving and keeping of God's people despite their deep and stubborn sin. Then I want you to notice in verses 6 through 12, a people saved by grace. So the salvation of God's people is recounted here in these six verses. The, the, the great salvation event of the Old Testament is the exodus from Egypt, especially passing through the Red Sea on dry land. What a picture it is for us. This is the event which, in, in many respects, creates the nation of Israel as the people of God. And for us as New Testament believers, we, we don't necessarily look back to the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea as much as we look back to the cross and the death of Christ and the, the parting of the curtain in the temple, right? But the nation of Israel was identified as the people of the exodus, the people of the Red Sea crossing. We are identified as people of the cross, people whose sins are forgiven and who have access to God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, and so what we see in Psalm 106 is why and how God saved his people. It says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through uh, the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and, and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. What does it say here? It says he saved them for his name's sake. For his namesake, that he might make, his, his, make known his mighty power. It's not as if there at the Red Sea, God said, you know, you are some pretty amazing people. And because you are such good people, I, I'm going to deliver you. I, I'm going to part the waters of this sea, and I'm going to allow you to go across on dry land. That's not what it says. And in the same way, in salvation, God acts for his own glory. Even as he acts for the eternal good of his people, in all things, God always works for the glory of his own name. Now, some people would think that's weird. You probably had those conversations. They think it's selfish of God, but it's not because he is God. He is God. Now, if, if I were to work all things for my glory and my honor, you would say, what an egomaniac, right? It'd be wrong because I'm not God. I'm not God. I, I'm not most glorious and wonderful and deserving of all praise. God is. 
So it is right for him to do things for his name's sake, for the glory of his name. In fact, if he were to work to exalt and glorify someone else or something else, that would make him an idolater. Just as we are idolaters when we worship as ultimate something other than God. God can't exalt non-God things higher than himself. That would be wrong and impossible and an errant contradiction. So the wonderful thing about God is that he doesn't have to tie our salvation to his glory. He doesn't have to choose to be glorified by saving his people. He chooses to do that because of his love for us. He chooses to tie his glory and our good together in the gospel itself. And so he acts for his namesake in a way that saves his people despite our sinfulness. For that, we should overflow with thanksgiving and hallelujah to him forever. Now, verse 12, we concluded in our our reading together, it's a very positive note. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. That's great, right? And and if if the psalm ended right there, you'd go, man, that's that's great. And And this is a recounting of the song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, actually, which was echoed by Miriam as she led the people in singing God's praises on the shores of the Red Sea, as Pharaoh's army was drowned in judgment, and God's people were safe. But then I want you to notice, we've got to look at verse 13. And in verses 13 through 23, what we find is a forgetful and rebellious people. You see, the high point of verse 12 doesn't seem to last very long. Because verse 13 tells us, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. In fact, it was three days, three days after the Red Sea crossing and the Song of Moses that God's people began grumbling and complaining. We don't even get out of Exodus 15. If you're reading in Exodus there, before we read, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Exodus focuses on the grumbling of the people. But Psalm 106 helps us see the theological root of their grumbling. They forgot God's works. They forgot God's works. In three days of desert wandering, they forgot the miracle of the Red Sea. For surely, if they had remembered, they would have known that the God who parted the Red Sea and drowned the most powerful army in the world at that time, immediately after bringing them through safely, could surely change bitter water to sweet and would not leave them to die of thirst in the desert after miraculously redeeming them just days earlier. Now understand something. The kind of forgetting that we're talking about here, that the psalmist is talking about, is not a cognitive forgetting, of course. They weren't suffering from actual physiological amnesia. Rather, they were suffering from theological amnesia. From a lack of theological remembering. In other words, while they most certainly could have retold the story of the Red Sea, they had forgotten what it had shown them about God himself. And this is us. In fact, if I could pause for a moment of pastoral vulnerability, can I just tell you that 
every, every week that God allows me the privilege of preparing a sermon and proclaiming his word to you, God is using that text to do a work in my life. But sometimes he does it in an unusual way. And that was the case for me this week. See, one of the clear pictures that we see of Scripture in God's Word itself is that it's like a mirror. And so anytime we open God's Word and we study God's Word and we, and we pour over a text, and, and we often preachers say we marinate in the text in that week, it's like looking in a mirror spiritually. And quite often I find myself saying, this does not look good. Well, this is definitely one of those weeks, as I found myself very near, if not in, a valley of despair. And God so convicted me through his word and by his Holy Spirit that I was suffering from theological amnesia. How quickly, Mike, you forget how good I've been to you. And the many ways that I've worked in your life and the many ways that I have proven to you over and over and over again that even when you are faithless, even when you are wallowing in doubt and despair, I am faithful. I'm faithful. That's what we see here. This is us. How soon do we forget? God saves. God provides. God is good again and again and again. And yet we forget his good works. We panic. We're anxious. We fear. We grumble. We worry because we forget. That's why we need constant reminders like Romans chapter 8 verses 31 and 32. It says, what, what then shall we say to these things? These things are, are like the bitter waters that we encounter in our lives. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, forgetting God's goodness has all sorts of nasty consequences. God's people crave and complain and grumble and end up in rank idolatry. Forgetting God's good works, they end up forgetting God himself. If you look further into the psalm here, you'll notice it says they made a calf in Horeb, worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. It's as if the psalmist here is mocking the insanity of their idolatry. As John Calvin says in his commentary of this text, he says, foreseeing that God had clothed them with his own glory... What madness was it to substitute in place of him not only an ox, but the inanimate form of an ox? As if there were any resemblance between God who creates all kinds of food and that animal which feeds upon grass. Hmm. The only thing that saved the people at this low point of idolatry and immorality was the intercession of Moses, who here is really a model of Christ's intercession for his people. What saves us from the wrath of God when we are forgetful and our forgetfulness leads us into insane idolatry? It is the loving intercession of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, the better Moses. The better Moses. We continue in the text here. Verses 24 through 43, what we see is a faithless, grumbling people. 
forgetting God's works, forgetting God himself, leads them to have no faith in God's word. Forgetting what God had done for them in the past caused them to have no faith in his promises for their future. And so again, it's the same for us. Lacking faith in God's promises leads to more grumbling and still more rank idolatry in verses 25 through 29, which leads to the need for another intercessor. This time it's Phineas who, who acts swiftly to execute justice, stand in the gap between the people and God's wrath against their idolatry. And what, he might, what we might miss here is that in both of these cases, this is, this is incredibly interesting, in both of these cases of idolatry, the golden calf and at Baal Peor involve sexual immorality. If we could say of the culture in which we live right now that there is an idol, that there is a, a, a graven image, as it were, it would be sexual immorality, wouldn't it? So what do we see here? Very often, we see this pattern in Scripture. Step one, forgetting God and his wonderful works of redemption for his people. Step two, complaining and grumbling against the goodness of God. Step three, doubting or denying the word of God. In the first case, it was not waiting for God's counsel. In the second case, it was not believing God's promise. Step four, rank, insane idolatry, turning to false gods to fulfill our desires. And step five, sexual immorality that flows from the idolatry. So forgetting leads to doubting, which leads to exchanging God for a cheap substitute, which leads to sexual immorality and all sorts of other immoral behavior. Moses intervened. Phineas intervened, but the people kept on sinning. We see this pattern again in verses 32 through 39, and ultimately the repetition of this pattern would lead them to, check this out, sacrifice their children for their idols and would lead God to send them into exile. Pretty bleak, right? I mean, if we were to stop the message right here and we were to leave, I, I wouldn't be skipping out of the room myself. I don't know. That's just tough. But we don't do that. Because when we look at verses 44 through 48, what we find is the only hope for such people. The only hope for such people. What is the hope for those who are forgetful and idolatrous as we ourselves are tempted to be? Just when we are almost exhausted from hearing this repeated pattern, the pattern is broken by God's goodness in verse 44. Look what it says. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered... Remember, this is a contrast of sinful man's forgetfulness and God's remembering. He remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So what I'm telling you is this. Our hope will never be found in ourselves. It is only and always found in the Lord, in his covenant, and in the abundance of his steadfast love. And if this is true, then the only thing, the best thing that we can do is to cry out to him. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. The answer isn't try harder to be better. 
It is to cry out to God for salvation, for he alone can save us, even from ourselves. Give thanks and bless the Lord. And the good news is that he does save us, even from ourselves, even despite ourselves. What a wonderful God and Savior. And so Psalm 106 ends with praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment this morning? It may be that you're here this morning and the the picture that we see in Psalm 106 of the Exodus, the crossing through the Red Sea, is lost on you. It's like, that just seems like something, Pastor, that happened a long time ago that has no bearing on my life. And yet it is such an amazing picture of the amazing grace of God extended to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if you're here this morning and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, then Scripture describes you as being enslaved to your sin. Much the same way that the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. They couldn't free themselves. So God sent a deliverer. They were delivered by the grace of God. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us at Calvary. So if you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, can I invite you today to take that step of faith? Simply acknowledge that you can't save yourself. You need a Savior. So you're trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There may be others here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm in a season right now where I'm, I'm really, really forgetful. No, it's not just that things have slipped your mind. But you seem to have forgotten the amazing grace of God. Maybe you're in a time of discouragement or even despair. Well, it's my hope and prayer today that by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you've been reminded. Some things have been brought to your memory of God's faithfulness. Despite our sinfulness, despite our rebellion, God is faithful. What a mystery it is. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you are good and you are faithful and you've proven over and over again 
that from everlasting to everlasting, you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Even when we doubt it. Even when we turn aside to earthly idols, you are faithful. So we give you praise. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.